I'm Dara Lurie. You're listening to the TMI Project Podcast Season 2, Black Stories Matter, where we're amplifying the voices of Black storytellers who got on stage and shared their stories of joy, pain, and resilience. Today, we present our first mother-son episode in which we bring together two powerful performances from Mom Twinkle and nearly 15-year-old Ezra, whose stories explore what being unapologetically Black means to their interracial family. In Twinkle's story, we see what it means to have a fully developed radar for the white gaze and how that gaze contains both conscious and unconscious bias. But Ezra's story brings us to that moment of recognition, that moment when a Black or mixed-race child sees how they are being regarded and judged differently than their white peers. They took the workshop together in 2019 and read their monologues live on stage with our Truth to Power performance at Point of Praise Family Life Center in Kingston, New York. First up, Twinkle. I'm not a teacher or a nurse, but I often play one on TV. See, in the acting world, producers and writers like to cast women of color as nurturers, teachers and nurses being the most popular forms. Like a modern-day Aunt Jemima, we're there to instruct and caretake. This role seemed to have permeated my life in the real world as well. White people seem to gravitate to me for caretaking, instruction, and nurturing, regardless of the relationship between us. I've begun to really look at all the spaces and times where I've been forced into that role. I don't have an issue with it at work. It's a gig, a well-paying, sometimes high-profile gig, that keeps me in the union and in health insurance for my family. But privately, it feels as if the world, the white world, still expects women of color in general, and me in particular, to instruct or caretake, no matter where or when. Like the time I'm sitting in Red Lobster in Hickory, North Carolina, with my husband Brad and our two-year-old son Ezra. We are here visiting my husband's family because my father-in-law, Ted, has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. I am truly weary, not only from caring for my two-year-old while performing some emotional heavy lifting for my husband, but also from deflecting the racist microaggressions of my husband's mother and two sisters. I am wife-weary, mother-weary, race-weary, weary-weary. And I refuse to cook in my mother-in-law's house for fear she'll attack the kitchen with air freshener again. Apparently, the smells of flavor are offensive. (laughs) All of these circumstances bring us to be sitting in the noisy back room of the Red Lobster, where I am acutely aware of being the only brown face in the place. Not even the busboys or barbacks are people of color. I can feel everyone keeping me in their peripheral vision. No matter, my off-duty sign is lit. I'm not carrying the burden of race for anyone, I reach across the table and hand Ezra a Cheddar Bay biscuit and look at my husband. He's wiped out too. But we are finding respite in this crustacean chain restaurant. And that's when I notice him. A white man that looks to be almost a century old, staring at me. I look around. Yep, he's staring at me. I offer a wan smile, and his blue eyes dance with intrigue. I tuck back into my salad, only to see him teetering toward our table. 
what is he doing? Hello, he says, towering over my child. Is he yours? He waves his wrinkled hand over Ezra's head and positions himself next to Ezra. I am stunned. What could he possibly want? Brad instinctively puts his arm around Ezra in his high chair. Excuse me, Brad says in his soft southern drawl. He is ever the southern gentleman who will never raise his voice in public as he politely tells you to go F yourself. Is this child yours? Yes, he is our son, Brad says. Oh, good, the man says as he pulls the chair out beside Ezra. I look over Ezra's head at this man's family who are silently observing this intrusion. Come and get your old white man, I'm saying telepathically to the 40-something-year-old son. Come and get him. Come and get him now. But it doesn't work. The son turns his attention back to his surf and turf without giving me another glance. Here is the height of white entitlement. Believing it's okay to come and sit uninvited at my table and demand that I stop nurturing my family and teach you something. It reminds me of the time that this white homeschool mom says that the hate in the young adult novel, The Hate You Give, is fake. I tell her, the hate is not fake, that it's all too real. When she puts her chin in her hands and elbows on the table and in her schoolgirl stance says, teach me, I say, no. I turn away and shut her down. No, I will not teach you tell the homeschool mom. So, being an interracial couple, I'd like you to answer something for me, the old man says. My eyes shoot daggers into this man. Answer what? Can't I just eat? My nurse, she's a colored woman like yourself, he continues, spittle falling from his lips. And she says that when the woman is older in a mixed couple, the child always ends up being a male. Are you older than him? He tosses his head in Brad's direction. It has me thinking. Is this my job? Is it the burden or responsibility for me and other people of color to teach white people? Haven't we done enough? I beg your pardon, I say. I am seething. I extend my arms across the table in Ezra's direction, and he reaches for me. My nurse is from the Caribbean, and she says that if you're older than the male, the offspring will be male. I'm just wanting to test the theory. What the f Look, I'm not a nurse or a teacher. I just play one on TV. But I'm about to teach this old man so hard, he's going to need a nurse. <laughs> I look at this man's family again. I can tell they're listening to this exchange. But since I haven't stabbed great-grandpa with a steak knife, they assume he's safe and make no attempt to intervene. Sir, I tensely let slip through my teeth. I assure you that your nurse's theory is just that, a theory. Or some old wives' tale from whatever Caribbean island she's from. Oh, oh no. She told me it's the truth. She's seen it happen time and time again. So I want to know if you're older than the father. 
I don't remember what Brad said to get him to leave. I was beyond words. And I just wanted the racist, ignorant fool away from my son. I do remember him teetering back to his table and my ears becoming hot. Why did this man think it was just okay to interrupt our meal? To take a seat at our table? To, to interrogate me and expect instruction? I realize that being black means a lot of different things. It's making the choice to not be a nurturing mammy. To embrace Betty Sarr's machine gun-toting Aunt Jemima archetype. It's the declaration that I'll nurture you on my time, in my way, if I want to. Being black is understanding that sometimes, a lot of times, all the time, I don't need to talk about my blackness. That black people don't sit behind closed doors talking about our blackness. There are other topics. And by virtue of the fact that we are talking, it's black talking. Being black is so much more than any preconceived notion that I cannot define what it means because it just is. It's the sun and the moon and the stars. It's loving my white husband. It's driving my car. It's loving James Taylor and Lyle Lovett and not responding to you when you ignorantly say, what are you doing listening to that? It's not denying any part of me that wants to do anything, go anywhere, be anywhere. It's not having to teach you about being black because you've dug your head in the sand for 40 plus years. Recently, my new favorite line is, I'm auditioning to be a nurse because I'm a black woman. Everyone laughs, and then they think about it. Being black is not one thing. It's everything. And sometimes, nothing at all. Nothing as in, it's a cool breeze. It's sunlight on the leaves and water. It's everything and nothing at all. Get it? You can't have it. Eleven-year-old Ezra never had a reason to question his identity as a mixed-race child until the world told him he should. Here's his story. This summer I'm 11 years old. I'm walking home with a friend and his nine-year-old brother. We are running around and laughing, having a good time. It's around 8.45, but it's still light out. We step aside to let a car pass, except it doesn't. It stops right in front of us and turns on its high beams, almost blinding us. What the hell? We start walking around when I hear, step in front of the car, please. Flustered, I look around at my friend and his little brother. They're both white and have confused looks on their faces. A police officer, a bald white guy, steps out of the vehicle. In the pit of my stomach, fear starts bubbling up and a lump in my throat forms. Oh, God. I can see my friend's brother has a fearful expression, but my friend has a calm, almost casual look on his face. Why isn't he scared? I think just as I see my mother and their dad walking towards us, oh, thank God. I, I take a sigh of relief. I remember hearing a comedian talking about being mixed. You can, you, can you can only be black or mixed, never white. I've always known I am black and mixed. I've ne I never had a problem because that's just the way I am. Then I see a particular episode of Blackish where the mom is talking about growing up mixed. 
She has identity problems in school and everywhere else she goes. I wonder why I don't have those problems, and it gets me thinking. Am I not black enough? Am I too black? Am I too white? I don't realize I'm doing it, but I try to act white and never fall into the black stereotype. I don't listen to rap music. I listen to Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and pop music. I don't use much slang. I'm afraid of a stereotype that I don't even know much about yet. My mom tells me stories about people saying she talks white. Do I talk white? While I'm trying not to be too black, I'm also trying not to fall into that white stereotype of being ignorant and thinking I know everything. I feel weird about fitting in because of something as small as the music I listen to. My white friends don't understand what it's like to be black. They say things like bro to sound black. When I refuse to go into a lock park at night, they say things like, what are the cops going to do? Shoot me, I think. I want to stop worrying about how I'm perceived and what I can and can't be shot for. I want to not have a small panic attack every time I see a police car or those high beams every time I see a badge. The officer asks for our names. My friends say theirs, and I manage to say my name is Ezra Hubbard. Their dad comes up from behind the car next to us. Hello, officer. How can we help you? There was a call reporting a a disturbance in the neighborhood. I think to myself, what? We were just playing. Who called the police? I glance at the houses around us. I'm going to need your date of birth and names. My mom and their dad give him their names. My My mother looks a little rattled. She okay? Can you tell me what was happening here? I remember saying, we were just playing. I was so stunned someone would call the cops and scared. I don't remember the rest. Why would I, why would somebody report kids playing? Because I was black, wasn't it? God, I'm tired. As I get older, my identity issues deepen. A friend of color asked me why Black Panther isn't one of my favorite movies. I say because it isn't that good. There are flaws in the writing and CGI. I still like it. It's just overrated. She says, come on, you gotta represent. It makes me feel like I'm not black enough. All my my friends upstate are white. Who do they see me as? I know that I'm me and I am no less black or white, no matter what I like or who I listen to. I'm not a stereotype, and I know that. I am black and I am mixed. I realize that blackness isn't something to hide. I begin to embrace my culture. The first step is listening to rap, really listening to the sounds of an amazing song, digging deeper and finding more meaning in music than the surface level pop drivel that I had been listening to is awesome. I had to get over the N-word, but once I do, my musical horizons expand tenfold. It's It's an amazing feeling. The group 21 Pilots helps me get there with their mix of raps and pox, raps, rock slash pop. Being black comes with its ups and downs. My mental state has been eroded by racism. Not to the point where I'm depressed, but I feel hopeless about the world changing. It makes me sad. Racism made, has made my self-esteem higher, I think. Or lower? I don't really know. I just know that injustice needs to be stopped, and I will stop it wherever I can. The day after the cops stopped us, me and the other two young boys were in the blotter. We hadn't done anything wrong except play in the street, yet the police were called about a disturbance. The neighbors saw me as black and a threat. The police saw and still see me as a threat. Security guards still follow me in stores. Ignorant white people still say ignorant things about the black experience. 
This is something I will be dealing with for the rest of my life. But at least I know who I am. I'm mixed and I'm proud. This episode is a collaborative creation developed and written by myself, Haley Downs, Shantae Howell, and Micah. Haley edited and Marlon Barry mixed. The theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our executive director is Eva Tenuto, and the director of external affairs is Sarah DeRose. The operations manager is Blake File. Shantae Howell is the publicist, and Clarissa Marie Ligon is our virtual workshop manager. Lauren Gill is our graphic designer and webmaster. This podcast is co-produced by Radio Kingston. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really helps. TMIproject.org, Black Stories Matter, is where you'll find more information about participating in online, true storytelling workshops just for Black folks, or attending a virtual live performance for an all-inclusive audience. Help us to continue creating radically true stories that have the power to change the world. Make a donation today. tmiproject.org.